Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Cyber Security Recruiter podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ben Thor. Ben started off his career as a sales associate at Best Buy all the way back in 2017. He then moved on to be an intern at Principal Finance Group. Then Ben got his first taste in the commercial world as a cyber security analyst. And that was at Maryville University. Then went on to be a junior analyst at Speartip. That was back in 2019. He then moved on to Express Scripts where he was an intern. And in about a year or so, he progressed to infrastructure engineering analyst. Then a year after that, again, he progressed to infrastructure engineering senior analyst. He since joined Emerson, where he started off as an IoT pen tester back in 2021. Again, within about a year, he'd been promoted to offensive security team lead and just recently i actually remember saying congrats to you on linkedin about this just recently he got promoted to offensive security manager ben welcome to the show how are you mate thanks for having me thomas i'm happy to be here good good now happy to have you mate and so that's quite nice look i'm sure there's been a few ups and downs there. i probably made it sound way easier than it was but that sounds like quite linear nice, good, consistent, solid progression there from uh, what I was reading out? It's been quite the journey. <laughs> cool, yeah. Success is never as... I often think it can look straightforward from the outside, but I'm sure that there's a bit to get into there. I'm sure it hasn't all been easy by any stretch, which we'll get into shortly. But Ben, where, where I always like to start is I've done you a bit of an intro there. Um, excited for this one. Offensive guy, cybersecurity recruiter, but do have a bit of a bias towards the fact. I just love hacking, love talking about hacking. But anyway, tell us tell us who you are, Ben, and tell us what you've been up to career-wise. I think you summed it up pretty nicely there. So I am the manager of the offensive security team at Emerson Electric. My team handles red teaming, penetration testing, uh, IoT hardware assessments, threat modeling, mobile application assessments. Basically, if it has anything to do with breaking things at Emerson, we're right there. <laughs> Cool. You're doing all the fun stuff. Yeah, we're doing all the fun stuff. There you go. <laughs> cool. Cool, mate. Look, I'll dive straight in. Not everyone progresses to to manager. What you've described there, look, it just sounds wicked. Red teaming, breaking things, mobile. You might say, I'm sure there's some web app, plenty of web app stuff going on with the prevalence of web app. You're having a lot of fun. You're leading the team. Not everyone progresses to to the manager level. I know it was fairly recently, the promotion four months ago, but if you could tell me a little bit about what do you think got you, what got Ben that opportunity and perhaps not others? I think it really comes down to two things. It's people skills, that, that ability to build relationships and forge new connections for the team and communication skills, the ability to take technical information, translate it into understandable mediums and then communicate that to leadership, to stakeholders, and to the team at, at a high level. If I was giving a piece of advice to anyone that wants to try and move forward into more of a leadership position on the team, look for opportunities to grow your team, build its connections, and improve things. 
that will get the attention of your upper management. It'll really help you move forward. Okay. Can we just unpack that a bit? So look for opportunities to build your network and grow the team. So if I'm thinking, okay, that sounds great, but can you give me a bit more clarity? What, 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 where do I start if I don't really understand what you mean, but I like the idea? Can you give us a bit more detail? So it, a lot of that depends on the organization that you're in. So for some organizations like Emerson, where we're a large sprawling enterprise with a significant number of business units and business groups, building those new connections can come in the form of a business group that you didn't previously have a relationship with, getting them on board to have some testing happen. It could be even within the security department itself, uh, building new bridges between the red and blue team. So defensive and offensive. I don't know if all of your listeners have that terminology. Yeah, yeah. I, I, hope, I hope they do. <laughs> hope so. They better do. Sorry, Ben, I'll let you go on. I'm interrupted. Sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. So it, it really just comes down to finding new opportunities for the team to do more. Mm. and provide more value to the organization. And sometimes that comes in the form of building relationships. Sometimes that comes in the form of building new services or coming up with new ways that your team can create value. And sometimes that just comes in the form of making current processes better. Mm. So automating, building out new strategies for the same old engagements, finding new ways to address needs within the organization and trying to communicate that appropriately to the rest of the team and then actually acting on it. Thanks, mate. Loads to unpack there. The communication thing, look, it's coming up again and again on every episode. And to me, that says something. It says that it's pretty, pretty important because every CEO, founder, manager, leader, director, anyone that's had success in this industry is mirroring what you've just said, Ben. I think it's true anyway. It's proven across every episode that it's massively true i'm going to ask a question that i always like to ask any tips for me to improve those skills and exercise that muscle to take center stage speaking in meetings trying to overcome any barriers to try and give yourself that opportunity that's really the best way to keep upskilling from a communication perspective mm. taking opportunities to speak with leadership gaining that rapport, gaining a, a level of comfort. All of these can help to improve your communication skills, but it's really all about repetition. You've got to look for those opportunities to, to get up and talk. Yeah, definitely. Ben, when I, when I first started the pod, I used to, this is no exaggeration, I used to do one episode. I used to have to write off a full evening and a full afternoon of work. So two or three hours before the pod, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't speak to any clients. I could hardly speak to the candidate. It was like, I was all over the place. I couldn't focus. And then afterwards, I'd be like so relieved and I'd ring my friend. And it was literally, I was writing off like afternoons to do an episode. Whereas now I'm like, I can come off a client call or a candidate call and like straight into this virtual studio with you now. And I'm fine. But the point I'm making here is that the first time you do stuff, it's uh, it's nerve wracking. Look, when I do the LinkedIn lives, honestly, I'm petrified. Like I get so shaky on there, and I can feel my hands sweating and stuff. And I think I just want to say it because sometimes people think that it's just them that get these feelings of anxiety and nerves, and people think that only they feel insecure about things. But we all feel them, and we're all pretty rubbish at something the first time we do it, aren't we? <laughs> Generally speaking, <laughs> absolutely. And I'm right there with you. I used to get 
so incredibly nervous before I would give a presentation at work or give a talk at, at a school or anything along those lines, it gets better. The more you do it, you start to get into good habits, you build confidence, and it, it really does help to grow that skill set. But it early on, especially, yeah, absolutely, it's terrifying. Yeah, no, it's like I say, it's just a case of exercising that muscle. You mentioned something else about five minutes ago. You used the, you used the word automation. I, I'm actually <laughs> I did use keep, the word automation. Yeah, you use the word automation. And, and, and look, you get some people that are like, no, I've got a bit of, I'm not going to sit on, on the fence with it. I, I just think there's ways that it can be used and there's ways that it can't. I'm a firm believer that if it's used effectively and you don't over, look, we're all obsessive guys and girls within security space we all are so there's a tendency there if we're not careful and we're not staying conscious of, of what we're doing we could maybe get a bit obsessed and over automate and that could be a problem what's your thoughts on it mate for, for penta so i absolutely agree with what you just said that there are times when automation is appropriate and there's times when it's not i i'm one of those pen testers where if i had the option of doing absolutely everything manually and being able to control every component of my pen test mm. that's what i'm going to do yeah, I would yeah. much rather go that route, but yeah. coming in as a as a, a leader, I can't do that. More importantly, I can't have my team doing that. We don't have the the bandwidth for it. We don't have the work hours, and we've got too much on our plate. We've got to get through these engagements, and sometimes that means that automation is what has to happen. The other aspect of this that I I have had to learn the hard way is that you can't scale manual efforts. You can test one environment thoroughly, carefully with a group of manual testers. With an automated tool or an automated script, especially something in-house developed that you can customize to the target environment, you can test hundreds in that same amount of time. So it's a game of scale. And pen testing, cybersecurity in general is all about scale. And if we can't expand and we can't use our resources effectively then we're just not going to get through everything in a year yeah definitely and look, my, my thought process is with it if you're against automation it's probably because you like getting behind the tools and writing your own really cool attack scripts that doing stuff that burp or nessus or whatever can't do that's probably why you're against automation but my argument to that is hang on look if we can automate the bits that um, can and should be automated doesn't that give us more time to self-develop? Um, does it give us more time to refine those scripts and make them even better? Maybe if you're weak on a certain area, you can upskill, or maybe if you want to double, triple down on a particular aspect within offensive security, if you're doing red teaming, maybe you want to, uh, I don't know, go and refine the latest lateral, whatever it is. I, I, I think it, it depends on the mindset and how you, how you look at it. But I, I think it's the way it's going anyway. And I, I think there'll be companies out there that are going, if we do this and don't do this and don't do this, we can have an, a mega service. We can be more efficient. So I, I, I'm with you. There's a balance to everything, but I think if it's thoughtful use and your intentions are good, I'm not saying there won't be mistakes along the way. Maybe the world in terms of service, maybe I think there's something, I think there's something there. If the balance is right, I think it could be really nice for everyone involved. Yeah, absolutely. And what I always tell my team is when you're looking for things to automate an engagement, look for the things that you hate doing. A lot of pen testing. And I know a lot of your listeners are pen testers, so I'm sure they're all going to be nodding their heads as I say this. A lot of pen testing is all about doing the same thing over and over again. 
mm. against multiple targets going step by step through a process. And when you've done that 4,000 times, that can get pretty tedious. Mm. 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 And we can automate that. Yeah. Save ourselves exactly. that headache. Exactly. And look, I just think there's certain things that automation can do better than a human and there's certain things it can't. So look, if it's really low level manual stuff and you've got to, you've got to write a certain script that does need to be done by physically by a human pen tester. But if something's highly repetitive and we're not concentrating, there's a chance we could make a mistake, whereas a machine's not, not going to. So there's an argument to say, again, if it's used properly and it's well thought out, it could make us, I think it could make us better. I, I think it's how you look at things in life in general, really. Absolutely. And I've sat on a lot of vendor calls with companies that tell me that they can fully automate every aspect of a penetration test and provide the exact same output and product that a, a genuine penetration tester can. Mm. And I've never seen a product that could really do it reliably. Mm. I, I think that automation is a critical part of penetration testing. I don't think automation, at least anytime soon, is going to fully replace pen testers. No, I don't think it will. And I, I think as well, I think the saving grace is, and I, I think I said this on, I can't remember whether I said this on air or off air, but to, to someone else, but uh, there, there comes a point where a human just wants to talk to a human. And it's, especially if it's a scoping call, if it's delivering findings. Can you imagine a robot trying to deliver findings? How much stuff's going to get fixed? Probably nothing. Like it's got to be done by a human that has and. And right. then obviously writing scripts manually. Yeah, it would just be, it'd be ages and I don't think it would ever happen. Absolutely. Not to mention you've got environments that are highly sensitive and require a, a more delicate touch. Mm. You might be able to fine tune that in a tool, but it's never going to meet the same standards as a skilled pen tester. Yeah, definitely. And also there's different markets for different services within offensive security. So look, you're going to get the customer that's not... It's a PCI DSS situation. I want the box ticked. Can you do this? On the flip side, you're going to get the customer that wants their security posture is amazing. They want three, four month full blown red team engagement. It's like there's different services that different customers want. So maybe some customers will lean more towards automation, but they'll still be the customers there that want a human doing the manual test. So I think there's that component of it as well. Absolutely. The human cool. element becomes so critical when you're working with the actual client themselves, whether it's an internal team or an external team, they're going to want to be able to talk to you about what's going on. Yeah, it, it does. And at the start of the call, you said building new connections, uh, building bridges between the blue and the red team, creating kind of opportunities, essentially. And obviously the word communication was used. And I think that only becomes more amplified as AI and technology becomes more prevalent because those skills become so much more meaningful and they become even more valuable because it's like, God, only a human can do that. So it's like, I think it's just more going, going that way. And I'm so glad you brought that back up because I really do want to highlight one of the points I made earlier. The relationship between the red and the blue team. I've worked in environments where the... Red team and the blue team view each other adversarially, and that's so unhealthy. At the end of the day, red teams and blue teams have the same goal. It's making the enterprise more secure. And when you can collaborate together and work together to make each other stronger, you just end up with a, such a better security environment. Mm. 
and a better culture around security within the company. Yeah, no, definitely. And look, I've spoke to so many, even on this podcast and, and just generally when I'm speaking to red teamers, you, know, you get a red team guy or girl that's got a massive understanding of the blue side as well. They're always going to be able to stay stealthier. They're always going to be a better rounded security professional. It's having an understanding enables you to have an appreciation for both sides, but also improves your ability as a hacker as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. Mm. You have to understand what you're attacking and what you're attacking includes all of the defenses and all of the security controls that have been established. Definitely. When I had Tim on from Pulsar the other week, he had like loads of sound certifications and they were, I was going, which one of these has, has had the most benefit on, the, on your pen testing career? And he picked the blue team one. <laughs> he was like, it's the, the blue team sands that he got the, the forensic. I can't remember which one it was now, but he was basically saying all his blue team, it, it was geared up to much more of a defensive. And that was the one he said that had helped it with his hacking the most. Just, it's having understanding of both sides is huge, isn't it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, then, Ben, I'll... Um... Move on to certifications. We've spoke a little bit about this on air <laughs> and you've kept me in suspense. So come on, talk to me. What's, what's going on with certifications in uh, your opinions? So I have a very mixed take on certifications. On the one hand, I think that certification training and going through that process, especially for some of the more hands-on certifications like the PNPT, the OSCP, I think those can be incredibly valuable experiences for someone who is working to break into cybersecurity. It demonstrates knowledge. It gives you a chance to be hands-on keyboard, really doing this work. And then it gives you a piece of paper at the end that says that, yes, I do in fact know what I'm talking about within reason. That being said, I think that their significance and value gets blown wildly out of proportion by colleges, some recruiters, some LinkedIn posts talking about, oh, you need these five certs if you want to be breaking into offensive security. I've never actually hired someone because they had a specific cert the whole ballgame. Given the choice between an engineer, or when I'm hiring for an engineering role, given a choice between someone who has nine fantastic certs that are really impressive and look great on paper. And the guy that sat in the interview with me and could actually talk back and forth about these subjects and really impressed me with how he could translate that information into something that anyone could understand. I'm going to hire the second guy. Mm. It's it's those (laughs) communication skills. I'm going to keep coming back to that. And none of the certs out there teach it. But I think, yeah, I think we were looping things back around really nicely, actually, to you can have certs, I'm going to be a bit blunt here. You can have certs and you can be not, I don't want to put words in your mouth. That doesn't necessarily mean you're a mega hacker. You can have no certs and you can be a mega hacker. And we were basically saying that there's no certs out there that teach you how to articulate risk, teach you how to communicate well, and you value the communication piece and being able to explain things above certificate. Am I, are we on the, was that where we were at? Yeah, absolutely. I I really do value those communication skills more than the certifications. And a lot of it boils down to soft skills are harder to teach than technical skills. I can teach someone how to perform a web app pen test. I can send someone to training to 
perform advanced cloud penetration testing. I, I can try and teach someone how to communicate risk effectively. I can try and teach someone how to have a conversation with a stakeholder, but at the end of the day, those soft skills are really up to them to develop. And it's mm. not something that I can just send them to training for, but that's, it's a key part of this job. And it's a key part of being a good ethical hacker. It's not enough to be brilliant at the keyboard. You could be the absolute best technical hacker in the world and be a terrible penetration tester. Mm. Yeah. Cause you can't get anything fixed cause you can't explain to anyone the value of it. Exactly. Mm. I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball here. So we would rather have someone that could communicate over certifications, but say you ring me up next week and go, Tom, I need you to find me two mega, mega hackers. If I sent you one with mega communication skills and loads of certs, that's going to impress you. Am I, am I right? thinking that's going to impress you more than someone who's just mega at communication. Or would it not? I mean, if I'm trying to hire a mega hacker, whether or not they have certs is probably not going to be the deciding factor for me. Okay. I'm going to want to get on a call with them and understand their skill set and have some conversations around what they're good at, what do they suck at. That's cool. really going to create more value for me than the piece of paper that that a particular certifying body is willing to give them. Mm, cool, man. That's nice. I was interested to see what you were going to say. That's interesting. That's yeah. really, so it really, really is. It really is for you, just for everyone listening. And I know we talk about communication a lot on this podcast, but Ben is someone in the industry who is a leader, a manager within offensive security. I know from conversations me and Ben have offline, he's heavily involved with hiring, decision maker within hiring, interviewing people. So the communication skills are very high on your priority list, mate. Yeah, they're way up there. Uh, the other thing that I always run into when I'm talking about certs is just that the reality of a cert curriculum is that it's difficult for it to stay truly up to date with the times. Some of the certifying bodies are better than others. I've mentioned the PNBT and the OSCP several times. Those are some of my favorites for entry-level people. I'm a big fan of both their training programs and just their process for gaining the certification, the practical aspects, the reporting aspects. Uh, I've been particularly impressed with some of the feedback I've gotten around the PNPT and some of the areas there. It's a fantastic new program and it's one of the younger certs too. I think it's been around for a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. I mean, certs are great at a high level, but when you get down to the nitty gritty, I've had a lot of conversations. I had a conversation with a guy I was interviewing for a, a senior offensive security engineer role at Emerson who had an OSCE, which is the the expert yeah. tier left yeah. from offensive yeah. security and could not for the life of him describe how he would handle a web app pen test. He could, I'm sure he could do a web app pen test, but he couldn't tell me how he was going to do it. Yeah. It's, yeah. And again, the, the value, especially on any kind of consultancy basis or dealing with end clients just diminishes just even your yeah. ability. Let's just forget, and it's really valuable, but let's just forget about the importance of what it's like in the real world. Even just your ability to interview. Yeah. That, that, that is massively affected. Um, we might have already answered this, but what holds pen testers back at the minute? I think the biggest thing that holds pen testers back is a lack of willingness to change. 
I think a lot of us in the security industry can get set in our ways, set in our priorities, and forget that at the end of the day, we're part of a business. Mm -hmm. And that's going to require us to make some tough decisions sometimes. And that's going to require us to look at things from different perspectives, which I think that's also one of the greatest strengths of a pen tester is the ability to adopt a different viewpoint. But sometimes we get locked so far into the security aspects of our job that we forget about the business parts. Mm. And that gets pushing really aggressively on certain findings, despite it being impractical to fix them. It can lead to us being unwilling to compromise with different aspects of the business or different aspects of leadership. And I really think that holds some pen testers back from being truly great contributors. I think as well, I think a lot of it's a mindset thing. So like this, I don't know if you hear this, say if someone is amazing at malware analysis, I think it's almost like people get in their heads and they build this identity around the fact that they're amazing at malware analysis. So they shouldn't, or they can't, but they can really, but they can't in their heads communicate because they're so in the weeds, they do this, they do that. But I, I, I just honestly worry that's a little bit of an identity play and a bit of a, um, a mindset. Do you, do you think there's any truth to that or do you disagree? I absolutely agree with you. So I think that there's, so there's this stereotype for hackers, yeah. you know, black hoodie <laughs> sitting in their mother's basement <laughs> at a computer with nine screens. And I think that a lot of people in the hacking community to a certain extent, view themselves that way. Mm. They, they view themselves separate from the rest of society, the rest of the company. Mm. And that has its pros and cons. Mm. On the one hand, the, the overall hacker community is one of the best in the world. Yeah. Some of the nicest people, some of the most accepting people. But I think to a certain extent, we can be a little bit of gatekeepers. And I think that gets in the way of expanding the community, expanding our capabilities. And I think it can also trap people in a headspace where they buy into that stereotype, where they are the person in the cave. They're not the person in the boardroom mm. and they have to be both. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's true. And I think on your point about the hacking community, I think it's so true. Like I always think with all the posts and I do and the engagement I get and stuff like that, I'm not saying anything bad about the finance community, for example, but I just don't know if in the finance community, like if I'm sat there, like I post at all kind of obscure times. If we've got a lot on, sometimes I just sleep for three, four hours and I might be doing stuff. I might be talking to people in the UK and then I'm talking to people in America and East Coast and West Coast. So sometimes my sleep really suffers. So I can post at all kinds of times and you get great engagement and people are so passionate. But if I was posting about numbers and spreadsheets and balance sheets and finance, would I get that sort of engagement? Look, maybe I would, but I don't think I would. I think the hacking community has got a certain level of obsessiveness and, uh, and passion that is just so cool and energizing. So we're lucky in that respect, Ben, aren't we? We really are. And it, it goes beyond a high energy or a high passion for this. People in cybersecurity work in this field because they love it. it it's a field of, of obsession. It's, it's not an easy job and it's, it's not a stress-free job by any stretch of the imagination. And yes, it, it pays reasonably well, but that's not enough to offset the, the requirements that you need to be successful in this field. Uh, and I, what I really think it boils down to, and I really do think this is one of the things that makes cybersecurity amazing, 
and the hacking community in general amazing for here love it yeah definitely uh, as well on, on the money point then anyone that's doing anything for the money they've got a rude awakening when they the, the real fun is when you're on the way there and when it, i think it's always an anti class i think nothing's ever as quite as good or as bad as you think and it's getting there's always a bit of an anti-climax but on the way is i think is the climax that's the fun bit but yeah no cool mate yeah mate, pmpt always get quite a lot of airtime on on this podcast and hearing hearing good things like you like yourself mate, i'm I know you've got your ear to the ground and speaking to people and stuff. I'm obviously speaking to people all the time. I had Joe from TCM on last week, the week before, and he went into detail about what they're doing and what's going on internally and the culture and stuff like that. And uh, that episode's not been released yet, but you, you can see why why the cert's of a certain standard. It's good. And it's nice that... I, I, I know sometimes like people, I, I said this on another podcast as well, but bashing offsec. Some people talk, talk, say, oh, it's fashionable on LinkedIn and stuff like that. And, and this, that, and the other, and uh, maybe it isn't, but it's good to have some competition. And it's good to, it's good to get discussion going about it. And it yeah. keeps certification bodies on their toes and competition's a great thing. It's a really good thing. It makes us all, it makes us all better. So a question yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, I mean, I, I don't want to bash the OSCP. I, mm. I think it's a decent cert. You want me to start cert bashing, we can start talking about the CEH. Multiple <laughs> <laughs> <Well>, choice. It's <laughs> what gets me, like, on the... But I don't... It's not the government consultancies. I think... It, I know it's not them. It's their, it's their end clients. So, but you see CEH on there, and but then you speak to... I know a lot of hiring managers in that space, and I do work in that space. And CEH is always on the JD, but you're just like, why is it even on there? Like, why, why, why do they do that? But... Anyway, we, we won't go off on that one, but yeah, no, I, I know what you're getting at. Ben, we're not going to talk about this for the whole episode because I feel like I've spoke about this for a lot recently, but breaking in, have you got any tips for breaking in? I'm sure you get hit up a lot on LinkedIn. Yeah. Breaking into cybersecurity, especially breaking into offensive security, is not easy. Offensive security, at least historically, has not been an entry-level area of cybersecurity, usually you'll pivot to it from another area. I was lucky enough to trip and fall into it very early in my career, which I know it's a very rare occurrence. What it really, the best advice that I can give to people who want to break into offensive security or really just break into InfoSec in general is get your name out there, go to conventions, talk to people, build relationships, build a network. This is an industry, and this sounds terrible, but it's true. This is an industry of who you know, not what you know, in many ways. What you know comes into play a lot, but who you know carries so much more weight. I would happily hire someone purely based off of the recommendation of someone I trust, whether they crushed their interview or not. I trust this other person. I trust their skill sets. I trust their opinion. They tell me I should hire you. I'm probably going to hire you. Yeah. 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 And that's so true. Look, I can relate that so much to recruitment because recruitment is all about your relationship. If you've got strong relationships, it doesn't matter if the market's up, down, whatever. It doesn't matter. If your relationships are strong, and it does mean doing the right thing for a sustained period of time and doing what you said you were going to do and delivering when you said you were going to do and you do need to be doing a good job of providing a good service but all that stuff's a given anyway but yeah if your relationships are strong that's the game that's the whole game uh, of recruitment and it's what you're saying 
with what you're saying here as well. It's yeah, it, it, it does, and yeah, I, I think this ties into uh, for everyone listening. And I mentioned this as we, we plan out the episode, but I always end up going off piece, and I'm going to do it again now. The <laughs> it ties into personal branding a bit. That does what you said because you said you the words you said were getting your name out there. And yeah. I'm, I, I've seen the reason I harp on so much on LinkedIn about personal branding and making the resume 3D is because of the effect it's had on my own career. I won't say winning clients, new clients all the time is easy, but it's a lot easier for me than other recruiters. And we can, in a not arrogant way, we can be a little bit selective about who we partner with because we know our ability to win business is good. And a lot of this is off the back of what I do online. My time to hire is ridiculously quick, not because I'm a magician, but because when I send a message out on LinkedIn, people tend to come back really quick because I'm in the peripheral. And again, that's available to anyone. That's not exclusive to me. That's what you said. That is the definition of putting your name out there. So I know what you're saying works. And any thoughts on the personal brand element? Is it something you look at in the hiring process or is there any other thoughts on it outside of that? It's absolutely something that we consider. A lot of it comes down to what's the seniority that we're hiring for. If I'm hiring someone at that senior level, I'm going to have a higher expectation that they're going to have either existing talks or blogs or projects, things that I can go and look at and say, yeah, this person knows what they're doing. If I'm hiring at that entry level point, I'm really more looking for has this person made good use of the resources available to them to try and build themselves into a good candidate? If I'm hiring a college student, maybe I'll look at how well edited is their resume? Did they use their university's career services office to try and make sure that they had provided a, a professional document? Are they involved on campus? Are they building organizations or helping to lead organizations? Are they doing things within the environment that they're in to maximize their own value? And that's huge, especially at that entry level point. It's just taking every opportunity you can to position yourself better. And it's something that I see really quite surprisingly rarely among candidates. I love that. I love the fact that you've just said maximize, maximize your own value. I don't know if you, I've just done a video post about three hours ago. And basically, I think if you're, I think we're getting to the stage now with everything that's online. I think if all you're doing is you are just doing your day job as a pen tester, nothing else. And by the way, for people listening, this relates to, like at the minute, I'm doing. I've got offensive security roles live. I've got SOC manager roles live. I've got network security. And I've got a threat hunter and detection engineer role live. This all applies for all of those, what we're saying. Just, you can't have like horrendous communication skills if you're a SOC manager. So if you're listening and we keep using pen testers, it's because obviously Ben's an offensive guy and I love offensive security. So, we, But it, this relates to everyone within cybersecurity. But yeah, yeah you, you use the words maximize your, your own value. And I really like it, mate, because... Look, if I'm a recruiter and all I'm doing is posting job ads down my LinkedIn page, I'm not bringing any value outside of being a recruiter. If all I'm doing is getting up, pen testing, going to bed, eating, I'm not. I've, I think you've got to bring additional value um, within your job outside of your job. And I think if you do that, you're going to help the community more. You're going to help yourself more, help your self development. 
stuff like building, making new connections, building new relationships, communication skills, I think they all start to fall into place when you do that because naturally you end up meeting more people. So yeah, I, I'm pleased to hear that it does come into account in the hiring process. And I, I'm liking, I, I'm thinking that it's going to be more and more so as the years go on. Yeah, absolutely. What it really boils down to is one word, differentiators. Yeah. Especially when you're looking at entry-level hiring, we might get a hundred or a thousand applicants for an entry-level penetration testing job. It's a very hot area of cybersecurity right now. There's a lot of people that want to break into it. It's not uncommon for us to get a little bit swamped with those applications, and it's not necessarily bad applications. No. Of those swarms of applications, there's probably 20 that we're actually going to look at because they actually have the qualifications to be considered. You have to look at differentiators. Do they have projects? Do they have their experiences that we want to hear more about? Is there something about them that makes them add an unusual area of value? And that's the ball game. That's the difference between getting the job and not getting the job. Is. So just to summarize everyone, add value above and beyond your job, have some USPs, have some differentiators. And yeah, I think you'll really help because let's say people are absolutely swamped. And look, and by the way, another thing to add, be polite, don't be rude, but be persistent. Like Ben, I can't actually remember like some podcast guests to get them on. I have been so persistent with them because I've thought, I've thought, it's like when I looked, when I look at it, I'm like that guy or that girl, he or she is going to add a lot of value. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to really go after this and I'm going to make it happen. And, and there's a certain way to do that and a certain way not. So you don't want to overstep the mark to the point where you're really annoying people. So there is a balance for this. <laughs> but look, maybe sometimes I know you'll have to ask them. But yeah, I think having a bit of, I think, look, be very polite, be very persistent and do the things you said as well. I think it's, yeah, I think it will really help people. Mate, you've given us loads there on, on how to break in and again on communication. Is there anything else? Would you think that's cool or anything else? I think we've covered it pretty thoroughly. Cool. Very good. I know some organizations out there. So this is my candidates. Obviously, pen, people on the tools are listening. Senior people are listening. Director level people are listening. Some of my clients are listening. If I'm running a cybersecurity consultancy at the minute, maybe I'm not as busy as I was. I know firsthand some companies are really busy. And I know some aren't. Why is that? That's a tricky one. So mm. I think a lot of it comes down to three things. Name recognition. When you're dealing with a consultancy, being a known entity is everything. We've got the trusted sex of the world and the, the Ernst & Young, these organizations that are, are well-established, well-known, and well-trusted. And their reputations become their life's blood. You know, they live and die on their reputations. And when you're going into contracting one of those firms, because Occasionally, we'll bring in a third party to perform a, a particular kind of engagement. It's either outside of our skill set or outside of our bandwidth. What you're really buying is the guarantee that they're going to do their job right. And that they're going to buy the job that you're hiring them to do. And when you've got a company that's got a good reputation, that's a lot easier to feel confident doing. Because these aren't cheap engagements. <laughs> these are not insignificant amounts of money. I, so I think that's number one. That's the biggest thing that, that some companies have over others is just reputation. And a hundred good 
reviews can be destroyed by a single bad one. So that's definitely number one. Number two is definitely technical areas. What areas of skill do they have? Are they differentiating themselves? If a company specializes in web application pen tests, there's a thousand other companies that also do web application pen tests, but I can't tell you how hard it is to find a consultancy that can do OCI cloud testing. Trying to test Oracle cloud environments is, it's, it's incredibly difficult to find a skilled team that can do that. Yeah. Do you know, do you know what, what you've answered it in part, but my next question naturally was I'm, I'm straight away when you say that, I'm thinking, how can this help me? This is how can, I'm thinking, if I'm, what, if I'm trying to maximize my career progression, there's certain skills within pen testing that yeah, are really valuable to you. You can't find Though what addition, I always think cloud security is a great one. If you can really get good at that, you can stand out pretty well. And I know from what my clients are saying to me at the minute, job recs that were maybe mobile and web app before are now, oh yeah, can he or she have a bit of cloud as well? Or, or be really good at cloud and then they're going to really accelerate through it through a process. What the question is, Ben, what you've mentioned Oracle Cloud, other skills could I be getting if I'm a hacker listening now to make myself stand out? to you when I apply for a job with you? There's three areas, cloud, IOT, and mobile. Those are the three big ones right now. And, and mobile has been around forever. That's nothing new. Um, but mobile applications, mobile phones, having the ability to understand how they function, how their applications work, how they can be attacked, where their risk exists. It's the largest attack surface in the world because the majority of people, especially in, you know, major commercial countries are carrying around a smartphone. Mm. Mm. So if I'm going to go after a particular company, one of the areas that I'm immediately going to look at is what mobile phones are their users carrying and how can I target that? Because um. those things travel. Yeah, the tax service is huge. Yeah, not like yeah. the old days where everyone's in the office on a server on the on landlines. <laughs> exactly, it's it's a huge potential area of risk that gets overlooked all the time. But in IoT, are the two hot topics right now that I would mm -hmm. really encourage people to look into. And one of those is way easier to to train up and practice on than the other. Uh, you can spin up a cloud environment. You can use a free mm -hmm. subscription from AWS or Azure and build yourself an environment, play around in it test out different tooling, test out different scripts and build a skill set. It's a critical skill set right now. And it's one that we absolutely need more people to, to spend time on. But because it's such a hot topic, it is something that we're seeing a growing number of people in. So it's not something that you're going to be an early adapter for at this mm -hmm. point. IoT is really where you can create a big differentiator for yourself, because in order to do IoT pen testing, you have to understand how a computer works down to the bare bones. And that means that you are looking at things at the lowest possible level. And that's exactly what we need in pen testers. It's an awesome area to build a skill set. It's the closest thing to Hollywood hacking on earth, where you're plugging into a device, typing some quick commands on a keyboard and then shouting, I'm in. It's the <laughs> only area of cybersecurity that actually has that. And I think it's fantastic. And I really hope that there are many people listening right now that decide to go and put together a little bit of a hardware lab for themselves and start playing around with this stuff because it's mm. fascinating. Ben, I think there's a lot of people, there will be. And what I was going to ask you, you said cloud, IoT, mobile. I was going to go, can I have a mega learning resource for each? 
you've given us a good insight. <laughs> you've given us a nice insight to cloud. But look, let's focus on IoT just for a moment because as soon as you said low level and you used the word Hollywood, I was thinking in my head straight away, God, that sounds stimulating. There will be people listening now thinking IoT. So how can I get some momentum going? I, look, for everyone listening, as a reminder, Ben is and has been an IoT pen tester. So this is an area where you stuff. So can you give us some tips for getting some momentum? Maybe point me towards some cool areas of the internet where I'm going to have some fun? Yeah, absolutely. So six months ago, the answer to this would have been very different than it is today. There are not a great number of training resources out there for IoT hacking. The best advice I used to give was to pick up a decent power supply, a decent multimeter, maybe a cheap logic analyzer, and some UART cables and then get yourself like a, an old router, particularly Linksys, because Linksys pub publishes their firmware online all the time. So it's easy to get your hands on an old Linksys router, rip into it and just start poking around. Nowadays, actually in the last six months, I'm not exactly sure when it was published, but TCM put out a really good IOT hacking training course. That's part of their overall bundle that they offer the subscription, which I think is like $30 a month or something, which if you want to break into IOT hacking, you're going to spend a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. Their service or that, that training course is pretty solid. I had a chance to poke around in it myself and I was very impressed with what they're doing. They take you through everything from the electrical engineering component of IOT hacking all the way up through interacting with the different protocols and reverse engineering the firmware. And it's one of the better training courses that I've seen for that aspect of the industry. Mate, thank you. If I'm thinking that sounds wicked, I could do with a home lab though to up my skills and I'm doing it on a budget and I want to get it up and running quick. Any tips? Yeah, there's three. Th so there's three components, or there's more than three components, but there's three components that you can't really cut corners on when you're buying them. The first one is your multimeter. If you're spending less than $50 on your multimeter, it will not do the job that you need it to do for IoT hacking. You do not, however, need to go spend two to $400 on a multimeter to be a, an entry-level IoT hacker. Areas of precision become more and more necessary, but starting out, go to your local electronic supply store, spend 50 bucks on a decent multimeter, and you'll be fine. You want to make sure that it can handle uh, checking for different areas of voltage. And you want to make sure that it has a continuity function, which continuity just basically connects two points and confirms that there's a current traveling between them, which that's the part or that's the, the function of the multimeter you're going to use more than any other when you're working on a IOT device. Uh, cause you use that for pinning out different components of the board to determine what they do. Uh, oh, so that's number one. You got to spend a, a little bit of money on a multimeter. Mm -hmm. You're going to need appropriate cables or an ability to interact with serial connections. There's a couple of great tools out there for it. Some of them are cheaper than others. You could go the route of a bus pirate, but that's going to give you some limited functionality when you're looking at some of the more low level protocols like JTAG. You've got other ones like the Bus Blaster, which if you manage to find one for sale, then they're great. They don't make that many of them, 
but they're not overly expensive. I think they're like $50 and that'll handle pretty much any serial protocol that you need it to. But you need some sort of medium for interacting with serial protocols. And then you're going to need some sort of toolkit. My personal favorite is there's an iFixit toolkit that has all of the things that you need. I think it's like $80, but you need the ability to disassemble things. And a lot of products today are really designed not to be disassembled. Okay. Uh, so if you don't have the right tools for it, you will just break the device. And that's a, it's a critical piece of what you need. Anything else? Everything else, you're going to need a soldering iron at some point, but you don't need to go crazy on what you buy with that. Uh, if you're going for an inexpensive soldering iron, be absolutely certain it has an automatic shutoff because those inexpensive soldering irons, if they're left on for too long, will melt and catch your house on fire. Oh God. Okay. Definitely <laughs> worth mentioning. <laughs> yep. Um, if you're looking at some of the nicer soldering irons, like the Hakos, or I'm just drawing a blank, it starts with a W. It's a German company. Okay. Anyway, if you're looking at some of the nicer soldering irons, the auto shutoff will either be there or it's not that important because they can survive being on for 12 to 24 hours without causing any damage to anything. Okay. At the end of the day, just you want something with an auto shutoff and granular heat control. So it is possible to set up a IoT testing lab without breaking the bank. You're probably going to spend somewhere between three and $500 though at the lower end. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, for anyone listening, doesn't know loads about IoT hacking, it's all about money and stuff, but the salaries on IoT, I do some stuff on the West coast with hardware hacking, IoT hacking. Everyone's got mega home labs and every, everyone earns a fortune. So <laughs> it's, and look, it's, I think we spoke about it before, Ben, like the, 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 it's almost like a little community within the community, the hardware hacking community. And there isn't many of them. And I know a fair few of them and they're, they're nice guys and girls. And there is some, I know most of the industries male, but I know a few, I know a few women that are very good at hardware hacking. So it's a cool niche within a niche to get into. And then by the way, mate, that, thanks for that. And that, that's a soundbite, by the way, that's going out as a soundbite on LinkedIn because that little bit there about producing a home lab and getting started, I, I just think getting started and getting the momentum, it's like anything in life. If you, sometimes if you just get started and get into it and make a bit of progress, then you've got the momentum and, and that can really be a big part of career progression. Absolutely. Thank you. And mate. IoT hacking, it's a it's an intimidating beast when you're first mm. looking at it. Mm. And a lot of people can feel like it's impossible. There's no mm. way they can get more uh, more options for training. Devices are cheaper, the tools are cheaper. You don't have to buy Ida Pro anymore. You can use Ghidra, which is a free reverse engineering software that was created by the NSA and is published by them. Uh, made available to everybody. It runs on anything. You can run it on Windows, Mac, Linux, whatever you want. Mm. And it's easier now. It's doable. And I really would encourage anybody who's interested to take a crack at it. Cool. Thank you, mate. We're coming up to an hour and I need to speed up, but I do want to quickly ask you about mobile. So any little tips on mobile, any mega learning resources that you've discovered or any anything else for the listeners there? There's not as many great options for mobile as there are others. But the best advice I can give you on mobile is play with your phone or, or better yet, buy a cheap Android phone for 50 bucks off of eBay and play with that because you'll break it a couple of times. Okay. <laughs> Learn how to root a device. 
learn how applications work, learn how to interact with it from a developer standpoint, uh, which that can also be a great place to start. Practice mm -hmm. app development. Now there's plenty of trains and learning out there for learning how to develop mobile apps. And that can be a great place to start for a mobile application hacker or a mobile device hacker, because you're going to understand how different things interact and how different things work and how to interact with them beyond just poking around at the screen. Cool, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, mate. I've, uh, mate, I love that bit. I love that bit. It was good. Podcast. What's the podcast or book that's had the most positive effect on your security career so far? So I have a thing I want to tack on to the end of this because I, I was expecting this question. From a podcast perspective, Darknet Diaries, of course, is a, yeah. and the content that comes out of that, just, I always come away from listening to one of those with a renewed sense of passion for this industry. And I think that's a, a huge plus that you don't get in a lot of other places, but really at the end of the day, it, it boils down to what's the area of cybersecurity you're most interested in, go find a podcast, somebody's talking about it and get your hands into it direction, looking for particular technical skills or building out different areas of knowledge. There's some fantastic books out there for that. If you want to become a leader in cybersecurity or a leader in business in general, there's some even better books around that. One of my favorites is called Leaders Eat Last. Uh, it's written by a guy named Simon Sinek. Yeah. Oh yeah. Know him. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's a, it's a great book. It, it talks all about prioritizing different aspects of the team and how to interact well with your team members, how to be successful there. It's a fantastic book. I'd highly recommend it. Mm. By the way, this guy that I'm about to mention, he's the number one podcaster in the UK at the minute. And Simon Sinek went on his podcast. So he's called Stephen Bartlett and his po podcast is called The Diary of a CEO. So if you like Simon Sinek, you probably like the episode, that particular episode. You'll find it really easy on YouTube or Spotify. He actually flies over to America to record a lot of the episodes. But yeah, The wow. Diary of a CEO, you'll, from a kind of just not related to security, obviously, but from a kind of personal self-development standpoint, if you listen to one of those episodes a month or something like that, it's going to make a difference to you, just your, your overall kind of well-roundedness and being, if you like. It's uh, certainly worth investing some time. That's great. Mm. Yeah, no, it's uh, really But cool. on, on the subject of self-development and career development, uh, the absolute biggest impact that anything's ever had on my career was a piece of advice I got from one of my earliest mentors. Uh, and it's to get comfortable being uncomfortable. We, we live in a world where people like to stay in their comfort zones mm. and comfort zones are a trap. You're not growing when you're comfortable. You've got to find ways to push yourself outside of that zone of, of non-growth. Mm. Stretch yourself out. You'll, you're, for one thing, your comfort zone will grow. You'll have less areas that you are uncomfortable in. But more importantly, you'll grow as a person, you'll grow as a professional, and you'll grow as a hacker. In, in a, in a self-development book, book I read, Ben, the phrase it kept using was comfort kills. That really stuck with me. And yeah, it's like a really nice little um, mantra to have in your head. But thank you, mate. You said that one of your mentors taught you uh, that, that comfort's bad. Uh, anything I can learn and listeners can learn from other advice your mentor gave you or, and also if I want a mentor and I haven't got one, how do I get one? 
Yeah, so that particular mentor of mine was a man named Michael Dorsey. Absolutely fantastic guy. He's based out of Tampa, Florida these days. But just a, a brilliant hacker and, and engineer. He's a fantastic guy. Uh, at the end of the day, having a mentor can be super helpful, especially early in your career. Uh, finding one is absolutely the real challenge. The best advice I can give is if there is someone that you look up to in your current area of expertise or in your current job, approach them and see if they'd be interested in mentoring you. If you don't have someone like that already in your life, look, send out a beacon on LinkedIn. Say, hey, I'm looking to better understand this area of cybersecurity or this area of business or this area of insert subject here and say, I'm looking for some mentor me. Would anyone be willing to talk with me occasionally? And I'd, I'd be willing to bet you'll find some people that are willing to help you. Definitely. And I think as well, don't let it be a, a, a showstopper or a stopper if you can't find one, because, and, and I have mentioned this before, and I will mention it again, it's like there's different forms of mentors. So listening to this podcast and people listening to you, that is, a, even though they've never met you, that is a form of mentorship. If you're watching on YouTube and watching the cyber mentor, that's a form of mentor. It could be a YouTube channel. It could be attending a conflict. I think it could be, especially in the virtual world that we live in, there's so many different versions of, of what a mentor is. So just because you can't find one straight away, it, it's a journey and a process to find a genuinely good mentor, which could take years. And I think while you're on that journey, instead of getting frustrated and waiting around, there's a lot you can be doing in the, in the meantime. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a fantastic call out. Uh, mentors are great. They can help point you in the right direction, but this is absolutely an industry and a field that's all about self-learning. So you've got to have that drive and you've got to put in that effort to, to find your own direction sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this goes back to a little bit to what I mentioned before, but that feeling of moving forward is the better that makes you really happy. That stimulation makes you really happy. And I read a book once on the definition of happiness and how to be happy. And it's basically that the whole premise of the book was if you're moving forward, you're happy. It's why sometimes as a recruiter, when I speak to people who on the surface of it, they look that they're in the job, they're great, but it's if they're not moving forward and they're not progressing, they get really worried really quick because cybersecurity moves so fast. But also as well, when you haven't got any forward momentum, that's why career progression is so important because it's ultimately it's what makes us happy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, it's cool. Last one from last one from me, Ben. I've kept you way way longer. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I do often keep people longer than I say, but I'll keeping you uh, really long. Do you have any leadership advice for the more senior folks listening that are tuning into the podcast? I've interacted with a lot of leaders that are so focused on either the success of the team or the success of themselves that they forget that they're actually there to make sure that their team members succeed. And that it, it's such a critical part of being a good leader. And it's a critical part of having a successful team. The team will succeed when people are happy and they're growing and they're learning and they're, and they are individually successful. And when your people are successful and when your team is successful, that's when leaders look good. Yeah. Cool. 
Wicked, mate. I think that might be a good place to finish, mate. I've, I've enjoyed this, mate. I love the bit on the IoT bit, and thank you. And look, again, for everyone listening, I've put Ben on the, on the spot there a few things. You did really well, mate, because there was stuff in there that I, I just, you, you were saying stuff, I thought, I've got to ask him, and, and, and I did, and you answered straight away. Thank you, my friend. It's been really nice. But Ben, thank you, my friend. Very enjoyable. Lots of good learnings there. Thank you for really breaking various different aspects of offensive security down and giving me and the listeners some really good insights and i'll see you soon i hope you had a good time hey thanks for having me this was a lot of fun